Revelation chapter number 15. Revelation chapter number 15. Does anybody need a lesson? Raise your hand if you need a lesson. We'll make sure you get one. Guys, I got somebody help me with them lessons. I don't see nobody moving. Come on, Johnny. Great day. Raise your hand real high. They'll get to you directly. They're slow as Christmas. I don't know where. Johnny went slam out the door. I don't know where he's going. All right. Anybody over here? Help over. Raise your hand. Raise your hand right there in the middle. Right there in the middle, Brother Johnny. All right. We want to make sure you get a lesson. I don't think anybody got theirs over here, did they? We, we got some? Did we run out? Well, that's a good problem. All right, Brother Johnny, if y'all got any extras? Y'all got any extras over there? Okay, well. Hey, can you bring them down here? We got, we got several down here that, that needs one. Help them, Johnny. Help them. I think they got it. Hey, bro, I think they got it. Johnny, Johnny finally showed up. <laughs> right over here, Johnny. All right. All right. Let's, let's give Brother Johnny a hand for finally, finally showing up, doing his job. All right. Revelation chapter number 15. Revelation chapter number 15. Has everybody found their spot? Everybody good and settled in and everything? All right, here we go. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up. Say that with me. Filled up the wrath of God. That's a key. That's a key to these next two chapters. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image, and over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art, or thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments and are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with a golden girdle. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels was fulfilled. Lord, thank you for your blessings and your mercy. Uh, thank you for a good crowd tonight. Lord, a bunch of people are here to, to learn and to grow and to, and to get closer to you than they were yesterday. I pray that they won't leave disappointed. I pray as we go through this outline that you will, you will illuminate our minds, open our hearts, and let us see your truth. Let us see how holy you are and how, how needful mankind is of you. I pray that your perfect will be done. We love you and we thank you. Thank you for a great weekend this weekend. And I pray that your perfect will be done tonight. And Lord, we'll give you the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Before we jump into our outline, I want, to read, I want to read just a little intro to you. It's not in your, it's not in your notes, but it's something I think that will help you uh, uh, get a grasp on what we've been studying so far. 
If you'll remember, how many of y'all remember when we went through the Gospels and we said Matthew was the, uh, the, the, the Gospel of the King? He was showing and portraying Jesus the King and, and uh, then Mark the Servant and Luke the Son of Man and, and John the Son of God. How many of y'all remember that? And how it, it gave four different pictures of the same person. Well, this is, this is kind of where we're at. The four Gospels furnish us with an excellent example of how the Word of God reveals truth. Matthew sets forth Christ as Israel's Messiah and King, Mark as the servant of the Lord, Luke as the son of man, and John as the son of God. Each book covers the same period, bringing out certain peculiar phrases, or or excuse me, phases of the Lord's life on earth. Well, the book of Revelation is given in much the same way. We have seen that the sixth seal presented in, in a panoramic way the great day of the Lord. Now, the great day or the, the, the day of the Lord's wrath, that's what we're, we've been building up to. Are y'all with me? It culminates in Armageddon. It culminates with that, that last battle, if you will, that, that last showdown between good and evil, uh, between the Antichrist, the devil, uh, the false prophet, and Jesus. Jesus comes on a white horse, we're going to learn in, in chapter number 19. That is the great day of the Lord. But in the beginnings of of Revelation, we start seeing a buildup to it. You, you hints toward that. And, and then the sixth seal that we, we opened up earlier in our studies, uh, it presented this in a panoramic way. Then under the seventh seal, we went back to various particulars leading up to that day. Again, the seventh trumpet, which was in chapter number 11, revealed the anger of the nations, the coming of God's wrath, and the accompanying tremendous matters. Yet we went back in chapters 12 and 13 to consider and vision God's plan for Israel. In other words, in other words, as we were going through these judgments, the, the three or the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and now we're fixing to get into the seven bowl or vile judgments, we, we, we were on our way, we were rocking right along, and all of a sudden God stopped and, and gave you some information about what you had already read. And then in, in, in between, in the trumpet judgments, he, he stopped and, and he showed you God's plan for Israel. We talked about the woman that was clothed in the sun who gave birth. We know that was the nation of Israel. And that whole chapter was God's plan for the nation of Israel. It was just like right, out of, right in the middle of all these judgments that we've been talking about, God says, let me show you a picture of my people and their Messiah. All right, how many of y'all understand what I'm saying? Say amen. Okay, now, uh, then again, then again, at the close of chapter 14, which we studied last week, we had a vision of the Son of Man reaping the harvest of the earth and treading the winepress of Armageddon. Now, this is one of the first instances in Revelation that you hear about Armageddon, the final battle. Uh, and it, gives, it just draws a picture, and the picture is someone reaping you know, a, a sickle. How many of y'all have ever seen one of those sickles, you know? Uh, and, and it's reaping uh, the grapes and putting them in a wine press. Well, that is that wine press represents that valley that God is going to bring the nations of the world into. Now, you, if you know anything about a wine press, when those grapes go in there, what happens to them? They get crushed. And so, so we, we see an instance of, of, of Armageddon. And we know, we know by study that it doesn't, it doesn't happen chronologically till we get to chapter 19. He's just giving you a foreview before it gets here. Does that make sense? Everybody understand that? All right. Now, 
uh, at the close of chapter 14, we have the vision of the Son of Man reaping the harvest of the earth and treading the winepress of Armageddon, destroying the rebel nations who had gathered to destroy Israel. But in chapter 15 and 16, we return to consider certain particulars preceding the great day of wrath and Armageddon. Visitations of God's preliminary judgments, just as the ten plagues in Egypt were preliminary to the complete overthrow of Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. We must keep this in mind, lest we try to make the book of Revelation a mere chronological narrative. That, that, now, now there is there is somewhat of a sense of chronological sequence, but uh, 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 we need to understand it's always not. Sometimes he'll stop and say, let me explain this, or stop, let me show you what's going to come ahead. And that's that, and as we've been going through Revelation, you've seen that over and over. Now look, here's, here's one instance in mind. In Revelation 14, 8, it says Babylon is announced as fallen. But that doesn't happen chronologically till we get to chapter 16. Now, does everybody, does everybody kind of see that as we're, as we're going? This chapter where we're at in chapter 15 is a preliminary, it's the opening, it's, it's really the preview or the intro Chapter 15 is the intro to get into chapter 16. Chapter 16 begins the seven, uh, uh, the seven last judgments, the, the most severe, the most intense. They, they do not last as long in duration as the others, but they are way more intense than any of them. It's going to be the final fulfillment. Now imagine this. Out of all the years of humanity... Out of all the years of humanity, year after year after year after year of man's sin, man's disobedience, man's rebellion, uh, God is building up his wrath. He's, he's, he's su- long-suffering. He's long-suffering. He's putting up with it. 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 He is, he is allowing time for man to repent and to get right. And to, and to re- Are y'all with me? Uh, how, many of y'all, how many of y'all have ever heard this phrase? Maybe you've done it with your teenagers. I've had it up to. What does that mean? You fool. You ain't taking nothing else. That's what that means. His wrath is full. Basically, it's saying God said, I've had it up to. And now here it comes. All right. If that makes sense, say amen. All right. Let's jump into this thing. Let's jump into this thing. Look on your notes. Look on your notes. The chapters we are about to study reveal the intense character of the mighty judgment of God. It is the wrapping up of God's judgment upon this earth and unrepentant man. Now, like I said a while ago, while the duration is not as long, it is severe in its intensity. Chapter 15 is an introductory chapter to chapter 16. The two chapters combine to make one connected vision. By way of review, let's look at the three sets that we've already talked about. We saw the seven seals in chapters 6 and 7, the seven trumpets from chapters 8 to 10, and then now we're going to see the seven vials out of chapters 15 and 16. Now remember, remember, this is like a telescope. How many of y'all have seen those, those extending telescopes? One piece comes out the next. That's what this is. At the end of the seal judgments, when the last seal is broken... Then the, the trumpet judgments begin. In other words, the seven, the seven trumpet judgments come out of the seventh seal judgment. At the seventh trumpet, 
when it sounds, then we'll see that the seven vials come out of the seventh trumpet. So what does that mean? They're all interconnected. They're all interconnected and one comes out the other. And as we go from the beginning of the sealed judgments all the way till we get into the trumpet judgments and then also into the vile judgments, they increase in intensity. They increase in severity. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, now, here's the deal. Why would God do that? I mean, why would God do that? It, it, it's kind of like, like we ask the question, and I do. I hear it a lot, and, I, and there's times in my mind I ask it. Why don't God just... I mean, why don't you just flick them off the planet? <laughs> Let's just be done with it, you know? How many of y'all thought that? All right, he begins with a low intensity. With the least amount as possible. Now, I want you to get a good, a good understanding of God because it's going to look bad here in a minute. But when this whole thing started, God started with the least intensity. It's kind of like when you have a child. Now, I grew up where there was like one punishment fit every crime. You know, you spill your drink, whooping. You rob a bank, whooping. There's no in between. I mean, it just, you just. But God's not that way. God's not that way. If you are straying, he's not going to wham. He's not going to drop the hammer. He's going to speak with a still, small voice. He's going to convict you. He's going to rebuke you. He's going to draw you. But as that goes, and we see this in Hebrews, as we continue to stray and we don't turn, the, the judgment and the reproof gets increasing in intensity. Why? Because in, in, the, in the beginning, God is a loving God. God is a merciful God. He's not doing this. He's not doing this. To punish you, he's doing this to reach you. And God begins with the least amount of intensity, but he increases the intensity because he's trying to get mankind's attention. He's trying to bring them to himself. He's trying to shake them out of their foolish behavior. A fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Why is he doing this? For God so loved the world. Are y'all with me? And what we're fixing to read is the most intense. It's at the end of this cycle. It's at the end of this process. We have gone, you remember, we heard about the angel. How many of y'all remember? The angel going into all the earth proclaiming the gospel. That was the last, that was the last shot. That was the last, that was the last chance, if you will. And now, and we're going to see something in a minute that's going to prove this. All right? God says, it's, it's done. It's done. But throughout this whole, everybody, it's amazing to me that when people, and I, th- I don't think it's because they know the book of Revelation, it's what they've heard. But if you study and read the book of Revelation, you can't help but see God's mercy through it all. You can't help but see how many times he's, asking them to come, to repent, to turn to God, turn from the Antichrist. The two witnesses are are crying out, declaring, turn to God. Listen, the 144,000 evangelists have been sent out, sealed, protected by God and given supernatural power to go into all the earth and turn to God. 
An angel. I mean, what's God got to do? What more can he do when he sends an angel to tell you, repent? Are y'all with me? But yet they blaspheme. And God has shown his mercy through this whole thing. But the Bible says this. The Bible says this. God's spirit shall not always strive with man. And the word strive means to work with, to compel, to try to convince. In other words, there's going to come a day when God says, I've had it up to here. And that's where we're at. Chapter 15, verse number 1. And I saw another sign in heaven. Now, now keep in mind, John's been seeing a lot of stuff. Are y'all with me? I mean, we've covered a ton of mind-blowing stuff, right? Mind-blowing judgments, mind-blowing responses from God to mankind, supernatural disasters, unparalleled death and destruction. And watch what he says. What I'm fixing to write. What I'm fixing to say, what you're fixing to read, was great and marvelous. In other words, it was bigger than anything else you've read. That's saying a lot. Are y'all with me? All right, now look. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, and seven angels having the seven last plagues. That word plagues, you could describe that that as a blow. In other words, uh, uh, from an enemy. Seven angels. Last blows from God. Seven last swings from the mighty hammer of God of justice. All right? It says, now look in your notes. We see the prelude to judgment. The prelude to judgment. This is all chapter 15. Hopefully we'll we'll finish 15 and 16. All right, first I want you to see the sign. Write that down. The sign. The cup of God's wrath is full, and now the earth dwellers are to be made to drink of God's wrath. Zephaniah 3.8. Now listen to what it says. Zephaniah 3.8. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms. Why am I getting everybody together? Why am I drawing everybody together? To one spot, to pour out upon them mine indignation, even all, even how much? Think about that. Even all my what? Fierce anger. Fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Listen, we're living in a day where... In the religious circles, and I, I use that very, very loosely. I'm not talking about uh, God-fearing, Bible-preaching, teaching uh, uh, ministries. But in religious circles, you do not bring up the word wrath. You do not bring up the word judgment. You always use words like grace, and you use mercy, and prosperity, and blessings, and favor. But let me tell you something. I I appreciate all of those things. I appreciate all of those things. But there is a theme throughout the Bible that goes along with salvation, and that is the theme of judgment. Sin 
is going to be judged. Sin is going to be judged. How much sure punishment would a man be thought worthy who's trodden underfoot the blood of the covenant, the, the salvation that Jesus has provided? Now, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Everybody think about this a minute. Everybody think about this a minute. If God on Calvary would do that to his own son because of sin, what do you think he's going to do to those who reject him? Let me tell you what the scriptures say. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Let me say that again. If God would do to his own son on Calvary, on the cross, because of the sin that he became, that he took from you and me and put upon himself, and he judged sin through Jesus and judged the sin on Jesus, what do you think, what do you think he's going to do to mankind who rejected what Jesus did for him? Judgment is coming. Well, well, well you know, we, we, we've been hearing that, we've been hearing that, we've been hearing that. God is long-suffering. God is long-suffering. Throughout, even throughout this tribulation period, we have seen that God's been long-suffering. But judgment's coming. God has fierce anger that he is going to bring about upon sin and unrepentant man. Then we see in verse 2. We not only see the sign in verse 1, but we see the, the saints in verse 2. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now we've seen this before in a little different way, but we've seen this before. Now let's go back, let's go back, take your flip back just a minute to chapter number 4. <clears throat> chapter number 4, verse 6. Chapter number 4, verse 6. All right. Now this is before the throne. Before the throne, in front, of, in, front of, in front of God's throne. Verse 6. And before the throne, there was a sea of like unto crystal. Okay, so we see the same, we see the same view. It is, it is imagine a, a glass platform that's crystal clear, that is clean and, and shimmering. And it is, it is as crystal. Y'all know what crystal is. That's in John's eyes, this is what it looked like. It looked like, a, to him, it looked like an ocean. That's why he called it a sea. It, was, it looked like big as an ocean, flat, this crystal that's out in front. But look how it's described in this verse. Look how it's described in this verse. It says, and I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. Mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the name of his name, the number of his name, Stand on the sea of glass, having their harps of God. Now, in chapter in chapter where we just read in chapter four, we find there's this big open. Imagine this. Imagine this. If you was you you, you had a throne and you seen this this big open arena, this big open arena. And how many of y'all have seen? You know, I, I hate to use this term because, but how many of y'all have seen concerts where? You have this platform, and, and then and it just kind of gives you an overview, and you can just see crowds, just like an ocean of people out here. That's what, it, in my mind, that's what it, but imagine this. I mean, that's a football field. 
or a, or a stadium or a big field. I've seen some in Africa that had a million people in it. But can you imagine, can you imagine this scene in heaven where it looks like an ocean that big? But now, now there's people standing on it. There's people standing on this crystal sea before God's throne that's mingled with fire. Now what is that? That's the saints who were martyred during the tribulation period. It was those that were killed during the tribulation period. Now, there's two two ideas about this fire. One is, without a doubt, it's because of judgment. Fire represents judgment. Our works will be be tried. Our faith is tried by fire. And it's tested. It's gone through. All right? And and fire always represents judgment. And and so it could be uh, the judgment that is fixing to come upon this earth. But I tend to think, I tend to think it's this. It, these are the people who've gone through the fire. They've gone through the fire. They've gone through the persecution. They've gone through the suffering. Here they are standing before God, and these are the people who suffered. These are the people who were brutalized. These are the people who most of them probably decapitated. They were executed because they would not take the mark. They would not follow the beast. They would not foul or fall down and worship. They, they, they would not give in to the pressures of the time and the pressures of the beast. And they were killed. They were killed by the beast, which is the Antichrist. All right, now watch this. But it says they overcame him. In other words, the verse says they were winners. Now think about this. The world looks at the death. How many of y'all have been keeping up with, with Nigeria? I mean, you're seeing the atrocities. ABC won't show it to you. NBC, CNN, they won't cover it. And, and all, of those, all of those factions, all of those people who are killing these Christians, they think they're winning. But in actuality, the way God sees it, they're the losers. The Antichrist thinks he's being victorious by executing all those people who believe in Christ and who are redeemed and who will not bow down. And they think they're winning. But the Bible says through their death, they overcame him. They are winners. Preacher, what are you saying? Don't fear death. Don't fear death. Look what what it says. Look what it says. It says this in verse verse number two. It says, and them that had gotten the... Come on, everybody. Them that had gotten the... Now, now, let me say this. Let me say this. And I, I don't believe I'm too far-fetched here. I think we need to understand days are coming that we may see in the United States what we're seeing in Nigeria. If you want to be hated on social media, stand up for Christ. Now, some of you, most of the only people on your social media is, is saved folks and people that think and, and act or believe the same way you do. But if you've got a lot of lost people on there, you would not believe the way they're thinking right now. I've got people on mine, and the only reason I don't take them off, I, I see things, I get so mad, and I just want to, and I'm thinking, nope, the only gospel they hear is what I post. I'm talking about people that I went to school with, people I graduated with. And I'm thinking the way they think, there's no way they could think that way. There's no way they, th- they could think this is okay. There's no way they could think this is proper. But their minds have been blinded by the God of this world. 
And I'm telling you, we're going to face some dark days, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to face some difficulty. There's going to come a time that you're going to have to make a choice and stand for what's right. But let me tell you this. Don't be afraid to stand because God says that's the victory. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. Look what it says. Verse three. And they sing the song of Moses. Look at this number or see, see, I want you to see the song, see the sign. We see the saints. These are those who have come through tribulation. They've come through the fire. They've come through, through martyrdom and they are here in the glory of God in the presence of God. And what are they doing? Singing. And if you're from the South, you're singing. If you're a Yankee, you're singing. Do I have a witness? Amen. I'm I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm tired. It's been a long day. Amen. Look what it says, verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Three, verses 3 and 4 go together, so if you want to tie them together. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art, or thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Do you notice something right here? Do you notice something right here about their singing? Anybody, anybody notice this? They're not singing to each other. Come on. Who are they singing to? To the Lord. They're singing to the Lord. They're singing to God. Are y'all with me? Anyway, that's a, that's a whole other fight we don't need to get into tonight. Hey, let me just say one thing about that. What people are pulling off as gospel songs and, 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 and worship and, and, and it, it ain't. If your song says more about you than it does about him, there's something wrong with that. I, I wish I could put a pause button on that, that camera right there for just a minute. I was watching a service, and if, if you, I'm going to just say it. And this guy was singing, and the whole song he kept saying, I held on. It got bad, but I held on. It was rough, and the fire was hot, but I held on. And, it, and this, I mean, it's just more of the, through the whole song, is about how he held on. And you know what all I can think about that through the whole thing? Man, he's got some holding power. I didn't think about God. I didn't think about the Lord. I didn't think about Jesus. I don't even know that Jesus' name was even mentioned in the whole song. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that, that that's got to be it, but, but it, it, we don't sing about ourselves. Now look at your notes. Look at your notes. Redeemed people are a singing people. The songs of redemption which they sing always, always, all, re, re, underline this, Always glorify Christ. The redeemed forget themselves. You see that? The redeemed forget themselves and see only the great purpose and plan of God and redemption. Our songs are not about us. And they shouldn't reflect us. They should glorify God. They should point people to Christ. When you get through singing, they shouldn't say, man, what a singer. When you get through singing, they should say, wow, what a God. What a Savior. What a Lord. Are y'all with me? 
Look what, look what John Phillips wrote about this. He's contrasting, he's contrasting the song of Moses that we hear about in the Song of the Lamb. The song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea. How many of y'all remember when they came out of Egypt and, 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 and God split the Red Sea and, and the nation of Israel walked over on dry ground and, 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 and then he didn't close it back. Now, now that sounds a little different. Why wouldn't he close it back? Hey, we're safe. Close it back. Don't let him get to us. But he kept it open. And here come, here come Pharaoh. Here come Pharaoh and his army. Got him in the middle, took their wheels off their chariots and killed every one of them. Killed every one of them. God's people had their enemy destroyed right in front of them. And so what happened next? They had a party. They got down and started singing. Let me tell you something. If you've been in slavery for 400 years and the people that's had you in bondage, the people that's had you in slavery, the people that's mistreated you and treated you in a bad way and God delivered you and he did it all and killed them right in front of you, whoop! They sang, they sang because God killed their taskmaster. God destroyed the influence that had them bound. Because here's the thing, watch this guys. You're never truly free until God destroys what's had you bound. Imagine this, what if Pharaoh made it? You know, what them, you know what the Israelites would have been thinking the whole time? I hope they ain't going to find no bridge nowhere. Because let me ask you a question. Are you really free if you're still having to look over your shoulder? Y'all with me? So they sing. There's joy. They're happy. Redeemed people are singing people. Now look, watch this. The song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea. The song of the Lamb is sung at the... The song of Moses was a song of triumph over Egypt. The song of the Lamb is a song of triumph over... Now remember, if you wasn't here last week, we said Babylon is the system. It's the system. The Antichrist system. Uh, uh, The political, uh, the, the economic in the religious system that's been created. And, and by the way, this, it doesn't just start. It doesn't just start when the Antichrist comes to rise. We're going to see, we're going to see in the next chapter, Lord's willing, we're going to go into deeper studies of what happened back, started with Nimrod. Amazing stuff, amazing stuff. But this system, the lamb overcomes. It's, it's, if we want to make it in the simplest of terms, it's good finally triumphing over evil. Are y'all with me? Listen, the song of Moses told how God brought his people out. The song of the Lamb tells how God brings his people in. The song of Moses was the first song in Scripture. The song of the Lamb is the... Think about that. Yeah. The song of Moses commemorated the execution of the foe, the expectation of the saints, and the exaltation of the Lord. The song of the Lamb deals with the same three themes. Look at the last part of verse 4. Look what's being anticipated. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art, or thou only, art holy. Watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. Y'all watching? 
for all what? Nations. Nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Does the Bible not say in the book of Philippians, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, what's going to happen? Every what? Is going to do what? Bow. And every tongue is going to do what? Confess. Are y'all with me? You see, this song is anticipated. Watch this now. Watch it. We've been in this thing. We've been in this thing ever since the New Testament. Listen, this song is anticipating the coming kingdom. It is anticipating that the Christ, the promised Messiah, is going to come to this earth. He's going to establish his kingdom in Israel. Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the world. And all nations are going to come and... That's what they're singing. Are y'all with me? They're singing about the end of the enemy. The end of the enemy. Listen, the expectation of the saints and the most important part of anything we could ever do as God's people, exalt the Savior. John said, I must decrease, but he must Y'all with me? All right, all right. We see the song. Now, D, look at verse number number five. The clock says I have 53 minutes. Is that true? Well, it's on the clock. Don't shake your head. How much I got? 25? 23? Let's round it to 25. Okay. All right. Y'all may want to fix that. I may go, oh, you, uh uh-uh, uh-uh, that says 20. Give me my five. Give me my five. Come on now. Come on, church. Say amen. Look at verse five. Hurry, hurry, hurry. It took 30 minutes off my time. It says, and after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen. Now, that's important. That's important. You need to understand, white always represents holiness and righteousness. Now, why is that important? And, and it's, it's, he specifically said that because he's fixing to pour out some, some horrific judgment upon this earth. But guess what? He is righteous in doing it. Y'all with me? Now, watch. Watch this. Clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And watch this. Here, here's where I want to go. Verse, verse 8. Verse 8 is, is D. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels was fulfilled. Now... This is something that's it's kind of neat. I want you to put D, the smoke. Let's talk about the smoke a minute. There were times during the, there, when, the, when the, the tabernacle, which was the temporary, the temporary place that, that God met with his people in the wilderness. How many of y'all remember when the nation of Israel was going through the wilderness? Everybody with me? And they had the tent of the congregation. We, had, we have the tabernacle, which was basically, 
a portable temple that they could pick up and move. Whenever God picked up and moved, well, it had a cloud in it. Y'all with me? Had a cloud in it. Glory cloud. Say amen. When they dedicated the temple, when they dedicated the temple, the Bible says when they offered the sacrifices and they offered the praises and when the trumpeters and all the singers and the choir and all their praise came up to God, the Bible says a cloud filled the temple. Whoops, amen. Cloud representing the presence of God. And it said the, the priest could not minister. In other words, they could. this is what that word meant. Minister means to contribute. They couldn't contribute. In other words, when God got in there, Ain't nothing else we can do. Are y'all with me? Isn't that cool? But you know what that cloud wasn't? It wasn't smoke. Now, there are commentaries that will try to tell you that that's the same thing. But it's not. It's not. Because the tabernacle was a tabernacle of mercy and grace. The temple was a place where God had grace and mercy on his people. Now let's, let's, look in our, let's look in our notes. Let me read this. When the tabernacle in the wilderness was completed, a cloud of glory filled it. That's in Exodus 40. Likewise, when the temple was completed in 1 Kings, same thing happened. A cloud. Say that with me. A, a cloud. No smoke was seen in either instance. Because the building of the tabernacle and temple was not associated with judgment. Judgment. However, when God gave the law to Moses, the entire Mount Sinai was enveloped in... Why? Because the law pronounced judgment upon all who failed to obey its demands. When Isaiah saw the temple, the house was filled with... Smoke, Isaiah 6, 4. For the prophet was sent by God to Israel with a message of... Now, what do we see here? We don't see a cloud. We see smoke. Smoke. Where does smoke come from? Fire. You see how this goes together? This is talking about judgment. This is judgment coming from God. This is coming from God. This is God's indignation. This is God's wrath. This is God's judgment. Are y'all with me? I heard a, I heard a, a TV, a, a, I don't want to even say preacher because it's a woman. She ain't got no business preaching, period. If you believe that, I don't need no emails. Or you can believe what you want. I'm going to believe what I want. It is what it is. And this is what she said. She's talking about the use of fog machines in worship. And she says, well, let me tell you, real smug and smart aleck-like. And, and she said, and then she quoted the, the, the glory cloud in the temple. And, 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 and the, the, the cloud in the tabernacle when they dedicated the, the temple and dedicated the tabernacle and how the cloud, and said, back then there was a cloud, so we can, if the kids like it, we'll put the fog in here. They had, wait a minute, a cloud and smoke's two different things. It wasn't smoke in the temple. It wasn't smoke in the tabernacle. That was a glory cloud. And by the way, if God chooses to bring smoke down here, he don't need a fog machine. 
Now, I'm, 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 I'm trying to help you understand there's two different things. And you can't cherry pick the Bible to try to justify something you're doing. That just makes you look foolish. Are y'all with me? Cloud represented grace and mercy. But this was not a time of grace and mercy. Grace and mercy is over with. This is a time of judgment. And by the way, what did, what did God tell the people? What did God tell Moses to command the people at Mount Sinai? Do not come close. And what does it say here? Look what it says. In this particular verse, in verse number 8, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. Now watch this. And no man was able to enter into the temple. No man was able to enter into the temple. I, I, I did a little devotion today in our, in our staff meeting. And I was talking about the temple veil being ripped from top to bottom. And, 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 and I don't want to use up all my time, but just to make a long story short, I, I believe that was God saying, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this out. God didn't, because you've got to understand, back then, ordinary people could not go into the holiest of holies. You had to be of the right tribe and you had to be of the right family. You had to be the high priest only once a year could have the privilege to go into the presence of God, to go into where the mercy seat was. Are y'all with me? But God, when Jesus died and he said it is finished, he ripped it from the top all the way to the bottom. And it wasn't so God could get out, but it was so we could get in. And now the Bible says we have we have access to God. We can come boldly. Are y'all with me? We can come boldly. Why? Because of Christ's flesh. Christ's flesh is now the veil. You see, the veil was the obstacle. The veil, y'all with me? Y'all hearing me? The veil was the obstacle. God took away the obstacle. Now what's standing there is Jesus. And Jesus is not doing like the veil did. The veil said, come no closer. Don't come any closer. He was preventing you from getting to God. No, he ripped that, put Jesus in its place, and Jesus is saying, come into God's presence. Come boldly. Come. And now he took away the obstacle and gave us help. He is a helper to get us into the presence. Are y'all with me? Y'all with me say amen? He's provided access to God. We can come boldly before God for the help that we need. And we can come we, now, but, 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 but not now. He said no man could come. What does this mean? This means when these judgments begin, there is no mercy. There is no opportunity to ask for forgiveness. There is no opportunities to repent. There is no chance to come to God. Because it's over. Does everybody understand that? Say amen. amen. The smoke is saying you no longer have access. No mercy. No grace. All right, church, say amen. Oh, oh, we got it. We got it. We can do it. Look here. They begin. Now, we're going to go fast because they go fast. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out. And and the way this is worded, it's not like, how many of y'all have had like a Coke bottle? 
How many of y'all have like a Coke bottle with a small mouth on it? Or maybe a gas can. Had a lot of gas, a little, and then blah, 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 blah. How many of y'all know what I'm talking I'm just trying to help you understand what I'm saying. Y'all know what I'm saying? That's not what this means. It's almost like an open bowl where it's just. In other words, the judgment, the judgment comes as a flood, not as a trickle. When he uses the word pour, that's what that's, what that's meaning. Now watch. <clears throat> and the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. So the first is targeting, specifically targeting the people who have the mark of the beast. The first vial, A, and, and by the way, number two is the pouring out of judgment. I don't know if you got that or not. But number two, the pouring out of judgment. The first vial or first bowl that's poured out on the earth is directed at the worshipers of the beast. It is a physical disease, a disorder. This plague is described as noisome, or which means very painful. In other words, everybody that has the mark of the beast, everybody on the earth, over the entire earth that has the mark of the beast is going to be covered in sores. That kind of sounds like Job, don't it? All right? Then, then B, the second vial. It says in, in verse number, verse number uh, 3, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Can you imagine? Every single thing that's alive in the ocean is going to die. Instantly. Instantly. The second vial, the sea becomes blood and all sea creatures die. Verse number four. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water. What do we have to drink? What can we drink? The only thing we can drink. Fresh water. Now he's attacking the fresh water. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of water and they became. And I heard the angel. Now think about this. Watch this. And I heard the angels of the water say. Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, for thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are... In other words, they're getting what they... Now, what do you call, what do you call somebody like a killer? What do you call a killer or a dictator that's really vicious and kills a lot of people? We call him what? Say it again. Blood... Thirsty. Blood thirsty. What's he doing to this group of people who were so bloodthirsty? And they were. They are going to kill Christians in an unprecedented manner. In an unprecedented, horrific way across this globe. It's going to be a global execution of Christians. And I know that sounds far-fetched, but you got to... You cannot be that naive. They're killing Christians right now on a scale unheard of in Nigeria and in Sudan and in Algeria and North Korea and China. But this is going to be on a global scale. They're going to be demon-possessed and bloodthirsty. And guess what? God's going to say, okay? Now watch. This is going to look at the next one. It's for they have, verse, verse 8. 
And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to, come on, power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. The men were scorched with great heat. Now watch what they did. They wasn't going to ask, ask for mercy anyway. Look what they did. And blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. Imagine that. You know what that tells me? They knew where it was coming from. But they were so wicked they still didn't care. Now watch, look at this one. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. And his kingdom was full of what? Darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain. It was so excruciating. And blasphemed the God of heavens because of their pains and their sores. And what happened? Repented not of their deeds. Now now look at this. What does the Bible say in John chapter 3 verse 19? John chapter 3 verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than because their deeds were God turns out the lights. What's he doing? What's he doing? Say it again, ma'am. He's giving them what they If you're going to be bloodthirsty, I'm going to give you blood to drink. If you're going to love darkness rather than light because your deeds are evil, I'm going to give you darkness. Now think about this. Connect that with Romans chapter 1. Where God, the greatest, the, the greatest judgment God could pronounce on you is to let you do what you want. He turned man over to a reprobate mind. He, in other words, he quit. He let him go. Do what you want. And that was the greatest judgment. You want darkness? I'll give you. If you want to be bloodthirsty, I'll give you blood to drink. Think about this. So what, what can we say about this? This judgment that they're experiencing is of their own making. Let's keep on. First vow, sores. Painful, painful sores. Second vow, sea becomes blood. All sea creatures die. Third vow, all fresh water becomes blood for a bloodthirsty group. God is vindicated for his judgment. They, they're getting that because of all the blood they shed. The fourth vial is magnified heat, and there's nothing but wicked blasphemy. The fifth vial is a removal of light. God has given them what they wanted, wicked blasphemy again. The sixth vial, the sixth vial. <clears throat> Let me find my page here. Let's look what it says. It says in verse 7, And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and, poured, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. 
Then it says they blasphemed God after the, the darkness in verse 11. Then look in verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river, the great river, and the water thereof was that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Can you put that picture up there of the, the little kid in the mud puddle? If you can find that, if you got that back there. This was an article, I think, in the New York Times. I think in the New York Times. No, no, back up, back up. That, that one right there. Let me read part of this. This is a boy. This is a boy resting in the mud in a dried up section of the Euphrates River near Jubaish, Iraq in June. Not June of this year. The Euphrates is drying up, the article says. The Euphrates River is drying up, strangled by the water policies of Iraq's neighbors, Turkey and Syria. A two-year drought and years of misuse by Iraq and its farmers, the river is significantly smaller than it was just a few years ago. Some officials worry that it could soon be half of what it is now. This was nine years ago, I believe. The shrinking of the Euphrates River, a river so crucial to the birth of the civilization, it's drying up as a sign of the end times, has decimated farms along its banks and has left fishermen impoverished and has depleted riverside towns as farmers flee to the cities looking for work. What is this? What do we just read? And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water was what? Dried up. Now, do I believe that, that this is the, the pouring out of that vial? No. I'm just saying, get ready. Because in a moment of time, it's going to happen for the next. Now watch this. Now watch this. It says, when that happens, when that happens, it's basically preparing a way. It's preparing a way for the final battle. And then he says in verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits, these are demons, come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, which is the Antichrist. You remember the dragon is who? Who's the dragon? Satan. Satan. And the beast is who? The Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet, which is his other, his other minion. So you have these, these demons that are going to, throughout all the earth, influencing, influencing the nations to come. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. What is, it, what, are, what, is, what is he doing? What's the devil trying to do? He's trying to get everybody. Everybody, come, come. We got to fight the lamb. We got to fight. Look, what it's, look what's happening. They are the spirits of the devils working miracles which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Then he says, he stops and says, look, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments lest he walk naked or in other words, be unprepared. And they see his shame. And he gathered them together unto a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, say it with me, Armageddon. Armageddon. All right. This is, can we see, see that video? Let's show that video. This is, this, I took this video when we was in Israel. This is the valley of Megiddo. This is where it's going to take place. Is it, is it possible just to back up just a little bit and then pause it? Keep on going right right there. 
Let's just, let's just well, go a little bit further, a little bit further. All right. Now look across there. This is a big open valley, a big open plain. Napoleon, Napoleon stood at this spot. I'm not saying he was standing where I'm standing when I took the video, but standing here, he said, this is the greatest battlefield on earth. And one day it's going to be. One day because of the influence of Satan and, and, and demons, he's going to draw the nations of this world and their armies to come into this valley to fight the Christ. And we're going to see that again in Revelation 19. Now, are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Let's finish quickly. Finish quickly. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And in other words, this is a worldwide earthquake. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone, imagine this. Now, we saw a hailstorm a few months ago. If you went by that side of town over there, you saw what hailstorm. Now, imagine this. Hailstone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now, somebody, you got your phone on? Uh, speak into that thing like you normally do and say, how, how many pounds is a talent, a biblical talent? 75? Ha ha, too slow. Is that what it was, 75? 75. See, you started looking it up before I asked, didn't you? Uh-huh. You was one and two. I meant to look it up before I come out here. Can you imagine a 75-pound hailstone? Y'all with me? Now, those days are coming. They're coming. Armageddon is coming. Let me give you the last point. I forgot I had one more. There was a great earthquake and great hailstones. Number three. I want you to see the purpose of judgment. The purpose. We saw the prelude of judgment, the pouring out of judgment, and the purpose of judgment. What's that second word? To. Come on, everybody. To settle once and for all the authority of Christ over the whole earth. God will draw the nations of the earth to the valley of Armageddon. This will be an all-out global war. Against the Lord. Armageddon is what? It's coming. It's coming. Now, we're going to read about that some more. Next week, there's going to be a slight pause. And, and, and he's going to describe this system. He's going to describe uh, uh, the, way, the way that the, the beast will rise. And, and it's, it's going to be really good. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. All right. All God's people say it. Amen. What do we take from this? What do we take from this? It's good to be saved. It's good to be saved. It's good to be saved. And I like that one too. I'm glad I ain't going to be there. Amen. Now listen, I want to say this. If you're watching by way 
of the website. I don't care what state you're in. I don't care where you're at. You can be in your living room. You can be in your car. You can be in a restaurant somewhere. You don't have to be in a church building to get saved. You can trust Christ right where you are. If you will repent and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And believe with all of your heart that God raised him, his son from the dead. If you will call out on him, it says, for whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. If you'll ask his forgiveness, he'll save you right where you are. And I hope you'll do that. If you feel like God is dealing with you right now, if he's touching your heart right now, you trust him as your savior. You believe on him. And if we can help in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us here at Temple because God loves you. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. If we can have, if we can have, uh, 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 Brother Travis, you stand up too. All our work, altar workers, you stand up. All the people that can take a Bible and show somebody how to be saved. All right? All right, everybody look around. If you need one of these, you look at, you look at them and you find out, you find one of them. If we dismiss and you need to get saved, don't leave here without Jesus. If God's dealing with you, you get saved tonight. Don't procrastinate. There's no time like the present. And all God's people say it. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your...